You may not know it, you may not like it, you may not think about it, but every one of us is an influencer. We influence people around us. It may be at work, it may be at home, it may be at school, but uh, in the neighborhood, uh, could be a friendship, but we are influencing people whether we know it or not. If you have children, you are influencing your children for good or for bad. So this weekend, what we want to do is want to look at somebody who was a great leader, an influencer, and his, his name is Moses. We've been looking at Moses, but what I want to do is I want to stop a little bit and I want to look at what are some characteristics of Moses that made him such a good influencer uh, and a leader for the people of Israel. And so we want to look at that. So we're going to be in uh, Exodus chapter 33, Exodus 33, and you could turn if you want to, and I encourage you to do that, is uh, turn in your, on your phone or we have chair Bibles, you can turn into a chair Bible. It's the first book of the Bible, go to chapter 33, and I just want to read the first three verses, and then we'll begin to talk about uh, what's going on here in the context. Then the Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and the people that you brought out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised an oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you to drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, uh, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go, and then notice what he says. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. Next phrase. But I will not go up with you. Now, what's going on here? What's... What is what is it going on? Why is God saying now? Uh, you know, I'll send an angel ahead, and and I'll make sure that you get the land. But I'm not going with you. Uh, what's going on? Well, it's the fallout from what we talked about last weekend, the the making of the golden calf. So what happens when Moses comes down the mountain and he sees the ruckus in the camp, and he sees the the golden calf? He drops the two tablets, and they they break into pieces. And uh, so the Ten Commandments now become fragments all over the place. Um, some of the people are rioting out of control, and uh, they are basically, the Levites kill 3,000 of the rioters, the, Le- the tribe of Levi. Uh, and then uh, a plague falls on the people. And so uh, God tells Moses that he's going to fulfill his promise. He made a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Israel. Jacob is the father of the nation of Israel. His sons become the nation of Israel. And so he says, I'm going to give you the land. I'll take you to the land. I'll have an angel lead you to the land, but I'm not going. That's essentially what he says. Now, think about this. For most people, that's a good deal. Because today, when you say, okay, God is going to give you everything you want, and he won't even bother to put his nose into your business. He'll let you do what you want to do, but he'll give you what you want. Because that's really what he's saying. He says, I'll give you the land. You can have the land. I'll get rid of the, the, all the inhabitants of the land, the wicked inhabitants of the land. It'll be yours, but I'm not going with you. Most Americans today, many Christians would say, I'm okay with that. Because that's kind of how we treat God. God, I want you for what you can give me. I don't really want you for you. Right? So many people would say, well, I don't see the problem with that. But notice how the people responded. Go down to verse uh, 4. When God says He would not be with them, when the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn, and no one put on any ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Tell the Israelites, you are stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you even for a moment, I might destroy you. 
Now take off your ornaments, and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off the ornaments at Mount Horeb or uh, Mount Sinai. So taking off the ornaments, I think, was a, a significant thing. It seems as though that the wearing of the ornaments was kind of a way of a secondary way of worshiping other gods. And so basically, the taking off of the ornaments was a way of showing solidarity towards Yahweh, the one God. And they seem to, these others seem to be linked to pagan worship, was a sign, I believe, of repentance. Now, Moses answers God, if you go down a little bit, jump down to verse 15, and then we'll talk about the jump between uh, where we were, verses 6 and verse 15, what happens there. But it says, notice how Moses responds. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us from here. In other words, God says, I'll take care of you. You know, I'm going to fulfill my promise. I'm going to give you the land. I'll clean the land out. You can go there. I'll have an angel lead you, but I'm not going. The people began to mourn. And then God, and then Moses says, if you're not going, neither are we. We're not going to go if you're not going to go. That's essentially what's going on. Moses pleads for the presence of God and, uh, to go with them. And, and he even goes on, and we don't have time to look at it, but Moses says, show me your glory. And God basically says, I can't show you my glory. If I showed you my glory, you'd be, it, it's almost like you'd be radioactive. It would just destroy you in a second. It would melt you away. And, uh, it, but he does make a concession to Moses in that. But we don't have time to talk about it. What I want to do, though, is I want to look at a couple of things that we've already read and a few things in the text that we jumped over. We're going to go back there. And I want to say, what is it about Moses that made him such a good influencer, a good leader? Well, the first thing is this. He had a daily walk with God. See, if you want to be an influencer, a kingdom influencer, an influencer for the kingdom of God to the people around you, whether they're your children, whether they're your parents, whether they're your friends, uh, neighbors, co-workers, if you want to be a kingdom influencer, one of the first things that has to happen is you have to have a daily relationship with God. A daily relationship with God. There's this odd passage, and we kind of jumped over it. It starts at, uh, well, look it. In verses 1 through 3, God tells Moses he's going to lead them to the promised land, but he wouldn't be coming. In verses 4 through 6, the people are distressed uh, by this, and they seem to show signs of repentance. And then in chapter, in verse 7, uh, uh, it's just, it just seems like, what's going on here? You know, and, and at, the, at the end of this kind of list, this section, uh, Moses says, well, if you won't go, I won't go. We're not going. I'm not going to go if you're not going to go. Um, but there's this, this verses 7 through 11, there's something going on here. And uh, let me read it to you. Um, I think we're being shown, though, the reason because Moses is speaking fairly boldly to God. And you say, how did... And he's talking Almighty God. I mean, you know, how do you get to a place where you talk to God in, in a, such a bold way? And I think the answer is found in Exodus 33. Look at verse 9. And at verses 7, uh, kind of pick it, pick it up. I'll pick it up at verse 9. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of the cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance of their tent. 
Now notice this next phrase. This is verse 11. And, and this would be one of those verses I had underlined in your Bible. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. If you are a Christ follower, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have an incredible privilege today, tomorrow, and forever to meet with God. Now, it seems as though what's going on here is that Moses has a tent. And as you described it, it's not the tent of the tabernacle. It's another tent. The tabernacle hasn't been set up yet. And Moses is outside of the camp because God can't even bring himself to come inside of the camp. His presence can't come into the side of the camp. He is so put off by the nation of Israel. So Moses is outside of the camp. He has a tent set up. Joshua lives there to make sure nobody stumbles upon it, to guard it. And daily, Moses goes in. And when he goes in, the glory of God comes down on the tent. And Moses has a face-to-face communion relationship with God. Daily. Now, one of the things that we need to understand is... Well, let let me read you a verse. This is from the Gospel of John, chapter 14. Jesus is speaking. He says this. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate or helper, or some translations say comforter, to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. Now, what Jesus is saying here, and I don't have time to get into it. Jesus is saying is, I'm going to go away, but I'm going to give you another person just like me. He is God. It's the third person of the Trinity. Because the Greek word he uses for another is another of the same kind. There's no one else like him except for me. In other words, he's identical to me. And and notice what he says about this comforter. He said, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. So Jesus is saying, I have been with you. But when I leave, I'm going to send you a comforter. And he won't just be with you. He will dwell within you. So the Bible tells us that Christ followers have the indwelling Holy Spirit within them. We are the new tabernacle, the dwelling place of God. We are the temple. And there's a number of New Testament passages that talk about how we're the temple of God. And how the Spirit of God dwells within us. We have an opportunity. We don't have to go outside of the camp and enter into a holy place to meet with God. God is willing to meet with us daily. At any moment, at any time. We have that privilege. See, here's what I'm saying. The first thing I see about Moses was that he was an influencer because he was being influenced by God. Your your life will influence others for good as you walk with God Daily. Can't be every now and then or hit or miss. It's got to be a daily walk. Whatever that looks like. I am not going to tell you what it has to be. You have to get a journal. You have to get up at five. And you have to, you know, spend an hour. And, and you know, I'm not going to, we're not going to regiment it. But there has to be time where you're sitting down with God's word. And you're sitting down quietly. And you're spending time with God. And you're saying, God, I want to hear your voice. And I want you to hear my heart. And, and, and that will make you an influencer. That will help you to influence people for the kingdom of God. That's the first thing that we see. The second thing, if you want to be an influencer for the kingdom, make your actions count 
for the community. Now, another truth, and, and, and okay, so here's what we're going to do. This point right here is we're going to go against the current of our culture. The current of our culture says you are an individual. Nobody has a right to tell you what to do. Your life is your own. You make your own choices. You live with them. You die with them. Nobody, nobody has a right to look in on your life. You can be as private as you want. You don't, and, and we take this belief system and we bring it into our lives as Christian followers. And we say, as a Christian, uh, my life is private. I have a private relationship with Jesus Christ. Here's the problem with that. The Bible says that when you are a follower of Jesus Christ, when you become a child of God, you become part of a family. You become part of a team. You're not, and, and, it, and Christianity is a team sport, and it's not an individual sport. And we in America, in America Christianity, we think Christianity is an individual team sport with me and Jesus. No, it's not. That's why a lot of people could say, oh, I'm a Christian, but I'm not connected to Christian community. Well, that's an oxymoron in Scripture. You cannot be a Christian, a obedient Christian of Jesus Christ, and not be connected to community. That's like saying, I am a member of a family, but I don't spend any time with the, my family. You, that, you can't be that, per, that way. And, and notice, what, uh, notice what happens here. So there's a number of verses that talk about it. I'll just give you a few. Uh, write this one down. 1 Corinthians 12, 12, it says this. Just as a body, uh, though one, has many parts, but all its parts form one body, so it is with Christ, the body of Christ. And that's speaking of the church. Look at 1 Corinthians twelve twenty six. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. Now, it's interesting because he says, basically what he says is, you know, your body has many different parts. Now, if you've ever really hurt your back or you've hurt a part of your body to a point where everything you do, you move your arm and it hurts. You, you, you move your hand and it hurts. You cough, you sneeze, it hurts. It hurts everywhere because one part of your body is suffering. What? That's what he's saying. You are not disconnected any more than a, a digit, a finger. You find a, a finger lying on the ground. You say, oh, that's normal. No, you say, somebody lost a finger. Whose finger is it? Which hand is missing a finger, right? Wouldn't you say that? I seem a little caffeine high tonight, don't I? <laughs> but no, this is important because we have this idea that we're this individual Christian. You are not an individual Christian if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. If you're following Jesus Christ, you're part of something bigger than yourself. You're part of a body. Uh, look at Romans 12 to 5. It says, In Christ, though many form one body, and each member belongs to the others. Notice that phrase. Each member belongs to the others. And so what I'm saying to you is if you are going to be an influencer, you will not be the influencer that God wants you to be unless you're connected to a local body of Christ. You're just not. You can't be. You can't be obedient if you're not connected to a body. You're not an island. You're not alone. If you're not doing your part, we all suffer. If you're acting in an ungodly manner, you're hurting all of us. One of the signs that you belong to Christ is 
you begin to go against the culture of our, the current of our culture. And our current says you're an individual, you can do whatever you want, whenever you want, you don't have to worry about anything. And what it says as a follower of Jesus Christ is no, you're responsible for others. You have a responsibility for others. You're not free to do whatever you want. Influencers go upstream against the current. Here's the third thing I see. We need to stop playing around with our secret sins. Uh, one of the biggest lies of the enemy is this. Here's what the enemy says to you. Before you sin, this is what the, this is what the temptation is. This is what the enemy says to you. You can sin in secret. It will not hurt anyone. You're going to probably get away with it. And even if you're caught, it won't be a big deal. It will only affect you. It will only affect you. This is what the enemy says, this side of sin. But when you get to the other side of sin, and every all hell is breaking loose in your life and in the people around you, the enemy is going to say, and you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ. What are you, dumb? Did you not see this coming? And you say, wait a minute, weren't you the one that said it wasn't, you know, I mean, the enemy plays both sides of the coin. There's a great example in Joshua. I got to go through this rather quickly. So in Joshua chapter 7, basically there's a story, but let me give you the context. So the nation of Israel is going into the promised land and Joshua is leading them into the land and they go against this big fortified city called Jericho. And God says, when you take Jericho, don't take any of the spoils. No one is to take any of the spoils. Well, they go into Jericho. It's a it's a, a incredible success, powerful city, but it falls because God gives them the victory, and this man named Achan takes some of the spoils from uh, Jericho. He takes some of the spoils and he hides them. So they come to this little itty bitty town called Ai, and it's uh it's just it's not very big. And they go, well, let's just send three thousand soldiers in there. We, this is, I mean, compared to Jericho, this is going to be nothing. And they go in. And they, they go to take Jericho and, or excuse me, Ai, and they are absolutely routed. 36 of their soldiers are, are killed, and Joshua's beside himself, and he says, what in the world is going on? How is this possible? How is it possible? And God basically says to him, very interesting, God says, there's sin in the camp. There's sin in the camp. And of course, they do the lot, and the lot turns to Achan, and they find out that he's violated what God told him to do. And Achan thought that his sin would not affect anyone. And it affected 37 lives, and it affected the, the whole nation of Israel. And what I'm trying to say is this your actions affect others. Now, there's an interesting phrase. If you go to, jump over to Exodus 34. Verses six and seven. There's this phrase here that I want to talk about for a minute. Um, let me let me read uh, these verses. Exodus thirty four six and seven. The Lord, the Lord, uh, the compassionate and gracious. The Lord, the Lord, compassionate, uh, the gracious and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love, faithful and maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet He does not leave the guilty unpunished. Unpunished. Notice the last phrase. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation. Now, when you read that, you go, wait, 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 wait. Time out. That's not fair. 
Uh, you know, the kids are innocent. Why would you punish the kids? Well, here's how I think this plays out. Let me give you an illustration of how this plays out. Now, the message this weekend, what I did was what you do sometimes when you sit down at a meal. You see all this good food and you say, I want all of it. But you know you can't eat it all. And what I'm doing is I'm going to try to do it all. And I'm not going to get there, but we'll do our best. Stick with me here. So I'm going, to do, do a, I'm going to show you, I'm going to illustrate how this principle plays out, that the sins of the parents carry on to the next, next generations. That your sins don't just affect you, they affect everyone around you, and many times it affects your family, your kids, your grandkids, and so on. Here's how this works. So Abraham, there's a famine in the land, and Abraham has this beautiful wife named Sarah, and they go down to Egypt, and Abraham says before they go into Egypt, tell everyone you're my sister because you're beautiful, and they'll kill me if you don't. So Abraham, by the way, they were half, half brother and sister, so you know, they had, kind of were related, and you know, we don't get into that, but the point is, so they go down to Egypt, and Abraham lies. And of course, it's found out, and Abraham is scolded by the Pharaoh, and you know, immediately is asked to leave. Um, so his son Isaac, number of years later, there's a famine in the land. And um, Isaac, basically, uh, they're going down uh, to a similar situation. They, they have a famine. And he says, uh, tell, the, tell the people that you're my sister because you're a beautiful girl and they will kill me if you don't. And so they lie about it. And then all of a sudden, it's found out. And what's interesting about this is, and they're asked to leave, What's in, now, what's interesting to know about this is Isaac wasn't even alive when Abraham lied about his wife, right? So Abraham lied about Sarah, but Isaac isn't even born yet. Now, what is Isaac doing? Many years later, he's doing the same thing. He's lying. The same lie that Abraham told. But now he's not lying. I mean, he's not lying. He, he, so Abraham, if his was a half lie, this is a full lie because it was a half sister. This is a full lie because it's not his sister. Okay, now let's go to number three. So many decades later, Isaac is an old man. He can barely see. And the kids are learning this lesson, by the way. If you have kids upstairs, they're learning they're going to have the hairy arms. You know why they're having the hairy arms? Because they're telling the story of Jacob and Esau. And what Jacob did is uh, he stole the blessing. And how he did it was he went in and he deceived his father who was was blind and infirmed and and basically he made a meal of stew for his dad that he loved and he and he went in and his dad basically says well let me feel your arms and he you know they had put skins on his arms so he'd feel like his his brother was out in the field unbeknownst to his older brother his older brother's out there getting the stew together but Jacob is getting in there to steal the blessing from his father and he says uh, well you feel and you smell like like Esau, but you sound like Jacob. And he says, are you my son Esau? And Jacob says, yes, I am. Yes, I am. So he not only lies, he lies to his father. He steals the blessing from his older brother. Abraham's pattern of deception has now reached the third generation. But there's more. Because Jacob has uh, many sons. One of those sons he loves more than any other. It's, his name is Joseph. 
And one day Jacob says to Joseph, he says, go out and check on your sons. Now they hate Joseph, absolutely hate him. And to a certain extent, they've got a right to hate him. And so they go out and they, they say, uh, oh, they say, here comes the dreamer. And uh, they throw him in a pit, they beat him up, and they basically uh, sell him as a slave to a caravan that's heading into Egypt. <clears throat> and they come back to their father, and they have this coat, you know, the coat of many colors, but they've dipped it in blood, they put blood over it, and they bring it into their father, and they say, isn't this the coat you gave to your son, Joseph? Well, they know it is. And they know what happened to Joseph. And of course, Jacob immediately is led to believe that his son is dead. They've lied to their father. They've sold their little brother as a slave to Egypt. All right. We begin with Abraham. Goes to Isaac. Goes to Jacob. And now all Jacob's sons are lying to their father. This is what they're talking about. Your sins will go to multiple generations. That should scare you. That should get you to a place where you say, I better watch what I do and be careful about it. The thing that you may be hiding right now is going to crush the people around you when it's revealed. What sinful seeds are you planting right now? What are you going to do about it? Today is the day. This weekend is the weekend you need to say, okay, there's this seed that's been going on and I've got to stop it because it's going to spread. Number four, and this is the last one, use your personal righteousness to protect those you love. Now, God, we can honestly say that God blessed the Hebrew people because of Moses. Without Moses, the nation of Israel would have been in big, big trouble. Notice what it says in uh, 1 Peter. This is 1 Peter 3.12. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. In other words, what Peter is saying is your righteous prayers are critical. We need more people who believe their prayers can capture the heart of God for those we love. That's why James tells us, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is two things. Powerful and effective. And you say, why should I pray? Because you're told right here that your righteous prayers are powerful and effective. That should be enough. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful. Your prayers can put a hedge of protection around your loved ones. If your prayers make a difference, then how should you pray? Let me give you a few ways to pray. Number one, pray for your family. In Genesis 19.29, it says this, So when God destroys the cities of the plains... He remembered Abraham and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe and overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. This is talking about Sodom and Gomorrah. And and Abraham had kind of this discussion with the pre-incarnate Jesus, I think, the three angels. And one of them was the angel of the Lord. And and he basically is saying, would you you destroy Sodom for 30 righteous people? For 20? For 10? And, and, And finally, God says, if you can find 10, 
I'll spare it. So that's just showing you that Abraham's prayer, his, his talk with God, his asking for God, from God, saved his, his nephew. Now, um, pray for those that you lead. There are people that you lead, maybe at work, maybe uh, at you know, uh, your family. Pray for them. Pray for them. Pray for yourself that you'll be a good leader, a servant leader. Uh, pray for your community. It's important. Um, you know, when you think of the community and you pray for the community, and I know there's a lot of things. Uh, one of the things that we need to do is um, God was willing to spare Ten people from Sodom because of Abraham's prayer. If you could find them, right? And it just goes to show you. Now, I read an interesting article. Somebody gave it to me from the New York Times. And it was from one of the, the people that were caught in the synagogue. And there's a, a rabbinic tradition that they still, they still do today. They were basically saying, this is kind of why we do it. When they have a, a synagogue meeting, a prayer meeting, they... They will not have a prayer meeting unless they get 10 people at the meeting. And that goes back to Abraham's petition to God. If there's 10 righteous people, will you spare them? And so they will not have an official prayer meeting in a synagogue. That's what this article said. And the man that was in the synagogue during the shooting. He said they will not have a, 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 a synagogue prayer meeting Unless there's ten people there, and it goes back to that tradition where Abraham is praying for Sodom and Gomorrah. And then he says this. There were eleven. There were eleven when the gunmen came into our synagogue service. What I'm trying to get you to see is this. In the same way that your sins can be multiplied to next generations. You could put a hedge of protection. You could bring blessing. Certainly Moses, one of the greatest leaders in the Old Testament. He spared so, saved so many lives and, 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 and led the nation so well. I mean, was he perfect? No, he wasn't perfect. And, and, and here's the call. Here's the verse that I want to just give you as we close. Here it is. It's from Ezekiel. Write it, it'll be up on the screen. I look for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it. But I found none. I found none. I don't know what's going on in your heart right now, but when I read that verse, what comes to my heart is Moses is praying for this, or excuse me, Abraham is praying for the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. God found Abraham. It basically says, should we tell Abraham what we're going to do? Yeah, let's tell him. That day God found one that cared for a city that was sinful and ungodly and messed up. And my question is, in this audience, in the Roshik audience, watching online, Are you one? Are you one of the ones that God would say, I looked for one who cared 
who would pray, who would, who would do something. Are you that one? Or are we going to all leave, stop listening, be done with it, and say, yeah, not me. And God says, no, I didn't find one. I don't want him to find one. I want him to find 100, 200, 300, 400. Because that's what our world needs today. Let's pray. Father, help us to be an influencer because we already are. For your kingdom, help us to be a positive influencer. If there are things going on in our lives that aren't pleasing to you, help us to deal with them. Bring the light of the gospel to them, to our hearts so that we can be a positive influence because we are, most of us are <laughs> influencers of the people around us. Whether we want to acknowledge it or not, we are. So help us to step up to the role and help us to be the one, Father. When you look, is there one who will step into the gap, who will stand up, who will live for me, who will be a positive influence? Is there one? May it be me, Father. May it be someone in this room. Maybe someone's in this room or at Roshek or online. Wherever, Father. Because we so desperately need it today. And we'll give you praise and thanks as we allow the Spirit of God to take the Word of God to our heart today. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.